just to give you a bit of background where, where my research lies, it's interdisciplinary. So the way, the way I see it, ethics is too important to be in this slide, but it permeates everything there, just to please Mark and Julian. So on, on the one hand, the left-hand side of the spectrum, you have purer philosophy, so you know, epistemology, evidentialism is, is one of the theories that might be relevant. On the other side, you've got medical science itself. Where I sit is the philosophy of EBM. It's closer to the science, so I'll try to tie in some philosophical themes. Um, I make the connection between the philosophy of, of EBM and medicine itself, so I publish in both medical journals and philosophy journals. I try to get the research into practice. Um, I also related to some themes in the philosophy of science. What I haven't done is related to the more general philosophy, and if anyone's interested, um, I've been talking with a few people, we're going to start up a, a network of medicine and philosophy, joint, joint research. So the main point of my talk is, is simple, it's that in spite of the fact that people talk about placebos, from doctors and researchers to lay people, there's no, there has been up to now no adequate definition. Um, and finding a definition is important for resolving various debates in epistemology and ethics. And I think I found a solution for the purpose of designing placebo controls in clinical trials. So just to get an idea, um, it's not a trick question, but who believes that it's ethical for a doctor to prescribe a placebo in clinical practice? So they're in, they're in their practice, a patient comes to them, is it ethical to prescribe a placebo? So put up your hand if you think it, it is ethical, yes. Put up your hand if you think it's not ethical, no. And undecided, put up your hand. Good. Oh, good. Ha uh. <laughs> You got the right answer. So there's no, there's no right and wrong answer. So now how about the same situation for clinical trials? Is it ethical to use placebo controls in clinical trials? Who says yes? Put up your hand. No. Undecided. Right. Now, I don't know, you don't need to pipe up yet, but you have opinions about whether it's ethical or not, so you, you should be able to defend what a placebo, a definition of placebo, because if it's ethical to prescribe a placebo, you should know what it is that you're prescribing. So just think for a moment of what your definition of placebo is. Just make a mental note of it, and I'm going to eventually go through, and if I haven't gone through and told you why the definition you had in your mind is wrong, that I'd like you to inter interrupt. Okay? So this is more than just a philosopher's quibble. It is, in a sense, interesting philosophically, you know, analyzing concepts is what, what we love to do. But it's more serious than that, and here's one example that I'll go back to later to explain why it's more serious. Um, acupuncture, imagine these bars each represent the outcomes after being treated with acupuncture, sham acupuncture, placebo acupuncture, ibuprofen, and ibuprofen placebo. So now, real acupuncture, Oh. You're done. I'm sorry. Is that, is that it? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So, let's have dinner. So, real acupuncture does not really out, outperform sham acupuncture by very much. Yet, both acupuncture and sham acupuncture outperform both ibuprofen, which in turn outperforms ibuprofen placebo. So now, because people can't come up with a definition of placebo, some people interpret these results to mean that acupuncture is just a placebo. And because placebo has negative connotations, they say it's just a placebo, it's not worth funding, and so on, and it's a reason not to prescribe it. They actually make that implication. You might disagree, but that, that argument is made very often. Others say, well, no, 
the sham acupuncture is not really a placebo. So this is just one example of why it's important to define placebo. And these, it's a live debate. I've published some of, the, some of this stuff and others have, you know, probiotics are good, it's unethical and unnecessary. Some say, it's, some say placebos are very powerful, have, have large effects. Others say they don't have effects, but again, this debate needs a definition to resolve. So outline of the talk, I'll go through problems with current definitions. Hopefully I'll cover all, all the definitions that you thought of. I'll provide a solution, and then I'll use a case study, again, go back to acupuncture, to show how the solution works in, in this very difficult case. So one of the first definitions was uh, Henry K. Beecher, and those of you interested in the history of science, in 1955 he did one of the first systematic reviews, he didn't call it that, but it, it was a systematic review of placebo-controlled trials. He was a doctor in World War II, sometimes he ran out of morphine, and he gave, doc he gave these these kids, basically, who had serious injuries, saline injections, and he found them to work. That's how he became interested in placebos. Um, and he defined placebos as pharmacologically inert substances that have real therapeutic effects. But inert substances can't have effects. Um, another counterexample, antibiotics are not inert, but when prescribed for known viral infections, which they are, unfortunately, all too often, they, they are count as placebos on um, Beecher's account. Another definitional attempt at Oxford English Dictionary, who defined placebos as a drug, medicine, therapy, etc., prescribed more for the psychological benefit to the patient of being given the treatment than for any direct physiological effect. But first of all, psychological and physiological effects cannot be separated, and also, it ends up, you end up classifying any drug used for a psychological disorder as a placebo a priori without any empirical investigation. Now, of course, some have argued that drugs like SSRIs, Prozac, and so on are just placebos, but we wouldn't want to say that before the empirical investigation, which is what the OED definition forces us to do. Another attempt, very common attempt, but unsuccessful, Placebos are used for the nonspecific psychological or psychophysiological effect, or that is used for its presumed specific effect, but is without specific activity for the condition being treated. That doesn't work either. Various kinds of placebo analgesia exist and operate through the release of endorphins, natural opiates. Endorphin just means morphine that your body produces. That's not an analogy. That's literally what it is. Into the bloodstream, which seems just as specific as penicillin and killing certain bacteria, or, or a morphine injection. So placebos can be just as specific as real drugs because uh, that's what they are sometimes. Given the difficulty, it's unsurprising that some people say, well, let's just drop the term placebo and use a different term. So uh, Daniel Mormon, he has a wonderful, wonderful book, and he writes beautifully, and a lot of things he says are right, but his term, meaning response, as a replacement d doesn't work. I won't go into detail here because it will take me too far afield. Basically, conditioning and expectancy theories can explain it, and meaning response, he defines in terms of placebo responses. Ditto for de Blasiedal. They say, placebo is difficult to define, so we're going to use context effects, where context effects are placebo effects. So, you're not really getting away. So, given this problem, it's unsurprising that some people say, let's just give up. There's no such thing as a placebo. So, Robin Nunn says, it just, the term just doesn't cut nature at any, any joint. 
he says it's confusing, leads to confusion, let's just drop it. Probiarten and Goethe, they wanted to investigate placebo effects. And they, they again tried to come up with a definition and in a 94 paper in the Lancet, they said there's no logic in the placebo. So instead of defining the placebo, what they did was they take any treatment defined as such in, in a con you, you guys are laughing, good, good. E easy audience. So they say anything labeled as a placebo in a clinical trial is a placebo. Problem with there, so what they did was they found to measure placebo effects, they looked for three arm trials, randomized trials that Rimat, am I too far away from that? No, okay. So randomized trials, patients either got no treatment, so let's say a waiting list, a placebo treatment, and a real treatment. Then they compared the effect of the placebo with the effect of not being treated, and if there was a difference, they said there's a placebo effect. They found not much difference, and they concluded there's no placebo effect. Of course, their trial was criticized for being, they just lumped everything. So for example, relaxation was sometimes no treatment, and sometimes a treatment, and sometimes a placebo. So one of the criticisms of their review was that they didn't come up with a defensible definition of the placebo. And in fact, they, they went back on their word. They said they excluded studies when it was very likely that the alleged placebo had a clinical benefit not associated with the ritual alone, e.g. movement techniques for post-operative pain. But this does not stand up to scrutiny either. A healing ritual is not a placebo. Suicide is a healing ritual. There's, ki there's killing rituals. Those are not placebos. Moreover, I, I looked at, they kind of cheated. So they just compared placebo with no treatment and said overall there's not a very big effect. Yeah? But if you take medicine in general and compare it to placebo in general, also not a big effect. So I took their same trials and looked, looked at the difference on average between treatments and placebos in a systematic review. I won't go into detail because that's a terrible slide, um, but you can read the paper if you like. Are treatments, are treatments more effective than placebos? And overall, there's no treatment effects on average are very tiny and their placebo effects on average are very tiny and for some things treatments are very effective and for some things placebos are very effective and for some placebos it's relative to the placebo as well so now let's go to the solution of total and anyone by the way have I not covered anyone's definition okay good so a bit about placebo controls first to understand the definition better. Um, so if we give someone vitamin C and their cold goes away, we cannot conclude that the vitamin C caused the recovery, right? post hoc ergo proctor hoc fallacy. Ideally, in the ideal world, we'd like to assess the counterfactual situation where the same person at the same time was given and withheld vitamin C. That's impossible, so we use control groups. Some get vitamin C, some are withheld vitamin C. Of course, baseline factors such as age, sex, Smoking status must be similar. If all the people who have vitamin C are younger, healthier, don't smoke, and their colds go away faster, it's not because of the vitamin C necessarily, it's because they're younger, healthier, and don't smoke. And also, this is an important point, the, both groups must expect to be receiving the uh, vitamin C, or the experimental intervention, whatever it is. Because expectations can have effects. Not for everything, but they can have effects. For pain, depression, for example, if I tell Mark, you're going to feel fantastic, you're, sometimes your reward, neuronal reward systems can be activated and you, you get a, a rush of dopamine in your body. So the expectation of feeling better can actually have effects. So if you give vitamin, even if two groups are equal, same age on average, same number of men and women, 
same proportion of smokers. If the people taking the vitamin C know they're getting the vitamin C, I'm giving this and they think they expect to get better, that can have effects. So you've got to have introduced blinding. And even if expectations don't have effects, there are other reasons to blind the trial. Um, if a patient has received a pill from their doctor who they like, who's a very sympathetic person who they know, and then they ask them a week later, did, did my medicine make you feel better? They might report feeling better, but in fact they didn't. So Grunbaum's main insights, if you remember these two things, one, all treatments are complex. It's standard to divide treatments into complex and simple, so a drug, a pill is simple. Acupuncture, exercise are complex. All treatments are complex. I'll explain that in more detail. Second one, what counts as a placebo is relative to a target disorder and a target theory. So all treatments are complex. What counts as a placebo is relative. Here's proof that all what counts as a placebo is relative. I'll quote from Grunbaum. Ironically, none other than the much maligned proverbial sugar pill furnishes a reductio ad absurdum of the notion that a medication can be generically a placebo simpliciter without relativization to a target disorder. For even a lay person knows that the glucose in a sugar pill is anything but a generic placebo if given to a victim of diabetes who is in a state of insulin shock or to someone suffering from hypoglycemia. So a sugar pill can be a placebo in some cases and not others relative to the target disorder. We'll just pause here for a minute. He explains his scheme with the help of a figure, which I'll make even more, this is his figure. I'll make it even more complicated when I revise it. So therapies are divided into characteristic features and incidental features. Let's take a therapy we think of as simple, Prozac therapy. In a Prozac pill, you've got fluoxetine hydrochloride, which would be the characteristic feature. Everything else, the pill casing, the bulking agents, which have been known to have effects in some albeit rare cases, but we don't know how rare, because people don't report what they put in the placebo. Also the expectations, the water with which it's, the pill is swallowed, um, how eminent the doctor was, etc. All those would be incidental features. Now, the lines in the middle are the lines of possible causation. So the characteristic features, fluoxetine hydrochloride in the Prozac therapy example, if fluoxetine hydrochloride has a positive effect on the target disorder, so major depressive disorder, then it's a non-placebo. Otherwise, it's a placebo on Grunbaum's scheme. So a non-placebo is a treatment whose characteristic features have positive effects on the target disorder. Yeah? Now, in, in, in words, so a non-placebo, I've just gone over that. A placebo, he has about five, three different kinds of placebos. I'm going to simplify for this talk. Not, not, no time to go into detail. A treatment process T is a generic placebo if none of the characteristic treatment features C are remedial for D. So if that horizontal line on top, the solid one, represents a positive effect, it's a non-placebo. If it doesn't have any positive effect, it's a, it's a generic placebo. And he says a, a placebo control, a treatment type T functions as a, as a placebo control if it is a generic placebo and it is harmless. Let's go through some objections, because Grunbaum's um, account has been recognized as the best so far. But they say it's quite good, but there, there are some problems with it, and it's difficult to understand. I had to read it actually about 30 times to understand it. I'm trying to simplify. So Waring, in 2003, 
says that some treatments have paradoxical responses. For example, SSRIs like Prozac can cure depression but also induce suicidal ideation. So they're remedial for some and remedial for others. My response to this is, and it's also Grunbaum's response, but he doesn't put it into the scheme, that no treatments work universally. Talking about swimming to save someone from, from before, swimming might be a fantastic treatment for obesity, but not if you can't swim, then, then it'll kill you. <laughs> e everyone knows this, so obviously whether something is a positively effective treatment or placebo has to be relativized not just to the target disorder and, and therapeutic theory, but also to the individual patient. Grunbaum says this, and I quote there, but he, in the paper, but he doesn't include it in the scheme. I introduced that to the scheme. Then both Greenwood and Waring in, insist that we include expectations. I'll quote from Gre Greenwood. We might have an instance of a placebo effect, according to Grunbaum's definition, even though no part of the effect is produced by psychological factors such as therapist-doctor commitment or client-patient expectancy. So they got a point, but not you don't want to... Expectations are only placebic sometimes. And here's an example. Positive psychology. Anybody heard of it? No? Yeah? The positive psychology movement, basically, be positive. I'm, o I'm, I'm vastly oversimplifying for the purpose of making a point. So if you really know about positive psychology, don't catch me out. Basically, it's just be positive. So the idea, the theory, the previous psychology, before it came along, they said, they'd take what's wrong with you? I feel bad, I feel guilty, and they'd look into the reasons why and dig deeper, try to get rid of it. Positive psychology, let's just take the, the, the good part and let it expand, more or less. So that basically, the whole treatment is positive expectations. You're going to feel better. Just focus on this, you're going to feel better. So do you want to call that a placebo by definition? That's the question. So to explain why I think it shouldn't be, I'm going to tell you about a different kind of expectation. <coughs> Even if I want to test the effects of positive psychology, I'll call it PP for short, effects of PP, it's still important to control for the expectation that I'm getting PP. If Mark is a famous PP therapist, and I go in there knowing I'm receiving therapy from Mark, then my expectation that I'm getting such fantastic therapy from Mark could have therapeutic effects independent of anything he says. So there have been many randomized trials of PP, and they do use attention controls to control for expectations that. So the expectations that you might receive the experimental therapy need to be controlled for. <coughs> and if they're effective, then they're placebic. But expectations in general, if they're part of a therapeutic program, then in that case, the case of PP, the expectations the analog would be fluoxetine hydrochloride and Prozac. That is the characteristic feature. So expectations, yes, they're important, but not necessarily placebic. Another objection. Greenwood gives the following. He doesn't give this example, but he talks about something, and I've turned it into a real example. I like to think in terms of real examples. He asks us to imagine a treatment where the characteristic features are lactose, some bulking agent in the pill to make it as big as, uh, and then some flour. Just, I just made that up. And the incidental features are patient-doctor expectancy and antibiotics. Now, if that were a treatment for some bacterial infection, it would be classified as a placebo on Grunbaum's scheme because the 
None of the characteristic features have a positive <coughs> effect on the target disorder, some bacterial infection. It's this that has the main effect, antibiotics. He says, you can just, the therapeutic theory doesn't tell us how, how, to, how to construct it, and this leaves open the possibility that the characteristic feature is not correctly identified. Good, good objection. My, my response, any theory is revisable. If you classify antibiotics as an incidental feature of treatment for a bacterial infection, then you're just wrong. That, that's a loaded example, of course, because even the term antibiotics, antibiotics is, is, is theory-laden. theory, theory laden. But this, this does happen, so many examples um, where, where we get the theory wrong. The most recent one that was a big, turned into a big blockbuster drug was Viagra. It was designed, Selenophil was designed as an antihypertensive. It didn't work as an antihypertensive. It was not effective at all, but it had some other effects and became a bestseller for the company. So let's talk another. Pro here, here's another problem with Grunbaum's scheme. So the first one is that he remember the definition of placebos. A placebo is anything whose characteristic feature does not have a remedial effect on the target disorder, but it means if the characteristic feature has a harmful effect, it's a placebo. That's too broad. Placebo controls is what I'm going to focus on for this talk. He states that, that the function of a placebo control is to determine the incremental remedial potency of the characteristic features in T. So the purpose of a placebo control of Prozac therapy is to determine whether fluoxetine hydrochloride has some additional remedial benefit over and above everything else. Expectations, bulking agents, the color of the pill, how powerful the physician was, etc. But his definition does not enable him to um, achieve his objective. So the control definition, recall, is that a, a treatment T functions as a placebo control if T is a pl generic placebo and T is harmless. So before I go into more detail, just because um, I'll use this figure a few times, let's say you have the, the treatment which contains both the characteristic features and the incidental features. In the placebo group, you have all the incidental features or the non-characteristic features. When you compare the outcomes in both groups, you subtract one from the other, you get the um, additional remedial benefit of the characteristic feature. It's an oversimplification, but it's, it serves its purpose. So here's why one reason why Grunbaum's definition won't work. Here's a real case. They took antidepressant drugs. Now, when people sign up for trials, they have to sign an informed consent where they inform the patient about what the trial is about and what side effects they might experience. So a patient in an antidepressant trial, they might be informed, you might experience dry mouth. Subsequently, some of those patients, those who got the drug, experience a, a dramatic dry mouth. And they, they, they get a dry mouth, they go, oh, I must be getting the real drug, not the placebo. Expectations are induced. That has some remedial benefit. Contrary-wise, those in the placebo group don't get dry mouth. Ah, oh, shit. Not again. I lost. So the test whether this was true, Moncrief et al. did a wonderful study where they looked for trials where the placebo control contained some active ingredient to induce the side effect. So in the placebo control, they put some other drug to induce dry mouth, for example. 
they found that the difference, they call those active placebos. I guess I think it's the wrong word, because all placebos can be, not all, but many placebos can be active, but the difference between the <coughs> drug and the placebo got reduced when there was when there were active placebos. And the most plausible expectation, explanation for this is that they controlled for expectations, right? The standard placebos could not maintain a double blind because patients could predict if they were in the real group or the placebo group. Of course, this is ethically problematic because you're introducing harm in the placebo group, so that's an ethical question that has not been examined for ethicists who want to pursue that. The second problem is that I found in another review, placebo ingredients are not reported. Almost never. In 6% of trials, are they reported. And some of my colleagues doing some serious investigations into the ingredients and the trials found that sometimes they'll put in the ingredient to induce the side effect. And then, of course, when they measure the side effect incidence of the drug, they compare the drug side effect to the placebo side effect. Hey, no difference, therefore no side effects. So there's ethical and epistemological issues to be investigated here. But that's just the, so Grunbaum's definition, he does, all he says is, in the placebo control definition to recall, a treatment, if it's a generic placebo, so the characteristic features have no effects and is harmless. So this standard placebo satisfies his definition, but we wouldn't want to say it's a legitimate or adequate placebo control. So in this case, to use the same figure, I mean, the standard placebo uh, in that case exaggerated the apparent benefit of the characteristic features. It gave an exaggerated benefit of the anti antidepressant <coughs> drugs. So I made this more complicated figure. First of all, I'm not going to go into detail. I just want to mention that if I added, basically I added extra lines for toxic effects. So I allow for, in Grunbaum's scheme, a treatment whose characteristic features was harmful would be classified as a placebo. In my revised scheme, I have a separate category, harmful interventions. Um, so you'll see there are harmful interventions. And then I also revised placebo control, which I'll go into more, which is what I'm going to focus on. I'll just read the bottom one. An adequate placebo control must have all the effects of the experimental treatment other than the remedial effects of the characteristic feature on the target disorder. So if the characteristic feature, let's say fluoxetine, has some remedial effect on, on depression, the placebo control must have all the effects other than that. Otherwise, it's inadequate. So the proof of that is, we'll go back to the example of um, active placebos. Here, you see the active placebo, it's not just that the placebo ha has to have the incidental features, that, that's not good enough. It has to have all the effects, other than the effect of the characteristic feature on the target disorder. And it may, it may seem obvious to you now, if it does then others, because I've done such a great job presenting, um, or because it just is obvious. But as this, this is just one example, and these kinds of examples are much more common than you believe, in, even in the simplest drug cases. I'm happy to document that if you send me an email with sources. When we move out of drug cases, it gets, of course, much more complex and much more difficult. So let's, let's go to one now, finish off with a case study of acupuncture. So acupuncture is quite effective for a few things, and one of the things it's most widely used for is back pain. Now, the traditional Chinese medicine theory of, of acupuncture involves qi, acupuncture points, or meridians. Those don't quite have an, an you know, 
a sound scientific explanation in conventional Western medicine. So there's no real theory. So when you ask what the characteristic feature is, since there's no well-worked-out theory, at least in our terms, it's hard to pick out what the main feature is. But so the first step with Grunbaum's theme is, remember his first insight is, all treatment is complex. Here we know it's complex. Let's list the features and see what we might do. So one of the features that might be responsible for the remedial effects is the beliefs, beliefs and expectations. Two, the acupuncture consultation, which can be longer than the standard consultations. Needle insertion, so those of you who know about the, the, the gate control theory of pain, needle insertion anywhere or, uh, could have some remedial effect for pain. Then if you believe that the theory of you know, chi points or even just the Western analogy, I guess, would be some ner nerve bundles and so on, that poking the needle there could have some additional benefit. And then, of course, it's impossible to insert the needle without exerting pressure. And there's independent evidence, including from Cochrane reviews, that acupressure has benefits. Then there <coughs> could be pressure at a particular lo location. These are not things I'm saying are effective. These are potentially effective features of acupuncture. So what do they do? Placebo-controlled trials of acupuncture. What do they do? The, the most famous one is called the Streichberger needle. Streichberger needle. They put these plastic things at all the points, Rebecca. All the points, both on the patients who will receive real acupuncture and those who will receive sham acupuncture. Then the real acupuncture, the needle goes through the plastic thing into the skin. The Streichberger needle has a, has a retractable, um, like a, a knife that goes in. So it looks like it goes in, but it doesn't go in. So the, the needle retracts into the shaft. So the patients can't tell. The patients think they're getting real acupuncture. And when they compare the Streitberger needle, am I done? No. <laughs> Good. Just need a few more minutes. So the <coughs> real, they compare the Streitberger needle with real acupuncture and find there's not a big difference. If you use enough trials in the major Cochrane review, there is some small and statistically significant difference. But it's very small, small enough that people can say, well, it's just a placebo. Look, the placebo acupuncture is as good as real acupuncture, therefore it's a placebo. So let's apply Grunbaum's scheme now. Remember, placebo control, the control must have all the effects other than the remedial effects of the characteristic feature on the target disorder. So they didn't go into the theory, they just were trying to control for expectations, which is insufficient to design a placebo control. So let, let's look at some Again, the, the, the figure there, <coughs> I mean, first of all, the first reason to think that this might not be an adequate placebo is that it's much more powerful than other drugs, some drugs, which in turn are more powerful than, than drug placebos. That's, not, that's just a prima facie case, because just like treatments can have different effects, placebos also have different effects. Sham surgery is the most effective placebo. Some of you may have seen the um, BMJ systematic review two weeks ago that came out from some Oxford authors systematic review of placebo-controlled surgery trials. In 50-something percent of the trials, the placebo surgery did as well as the surgery. That's for mechanical problems. So Grunbaum's scheme forces to specify which features are, and then the Streitberger needle implies that the only characteristic feature of acupuncture is needling at the chi points, that everything else must be not, a, not, not right. So let's look at the Streitberger needle in a bit more detail. What other effects does it, does it have? 
Again, the reason they chose this is an over-obsession with expectations. But the Strindberger needle, you still have the acupuncture <coughs> consultation, which is longer than standard consultation, or, or can be. You still have acupressure, which I said, as I mentioned, in Cochrane reviews, has effects over and above sham acupressure. Of course, the pressure exerted by the needle is probably not as strong, almost certainly not as strong as the pressure exerted by, by the sham needle. Nonetheless, it's there. So just those two reasons alone would lead us to believe that the Streitberger needle is not a, not necessarily an adequate placebo. I don't, and the good thing about Grunbaum's scheme is that some of you might disagree. You might say, well, it is a placebo. I don't need to be, take a firm line there. I don't think it is a placebo. Uh, what I can say, though, is since a placebo control is relative to a therapeutic theory, until you have a well-worked-out therapeutic theory, you shouldn't, you, you are, your placebo is tentative because you're making assumptions that are not, not confirmed. And there are other options, rigorous options, other kinds of randomized trials. For example, trials that compare acupuncture with ibuprofen, which is much more clinically relevant, of course. If you have back pain, you want to know what's the better thing, what's going to give you a greater degree of relief. So what I'm, what I'm saying is that the Streitberger needle is, let's say this one here, is leading to an underestimate of whatever the characteristic features of acupuncture are. So Grunbaum's scheme gets out of the woods in this very difficult case by forcing us to specify which features of acupuncture are assumed to be characteristic if we take this Streitberger needle to be a placebo for acupuncture therapy. And Calling the, the needle a placebo implies that the only characteristic feature of acupuncture <coughs> is needling at, at chi points, which is not necessarily the case. So conclusions. Attempts to define the placebo thus far fail, yet it is important to come up with a definition of placebos for many reasons, ethical reasons, epistemological reasons. I have focused in this paper on coming up with a characterization of placebo controls for the purpose of clinical trials. This definition might have implications for placebo, the definition of placebo controls in clinical practice. It might be the same. It might not. I, I'm not making that claim yet. Grunbaum's main insights are that all treatments are complex. What counts as a placebo is relative to the target disorder, the therapeutic theory, and the patient. Adequate placebo controls contain all and only the incidental feature effects, there's a missing word, effects of the experimental treatment. Objections from Groom, from Waring and Greenwood can be overcome, and a future research, which I'm already starting, and if anyone wants to join, please do contact me, is warranted to investigate the implications of our revised scheme for the ethics of placebo controls in trials and placebo treatments in clinical practice. Thank you very much for your attention.